0: This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Doctor Dan. I'm your host, Doctor Dan. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. How do we do this? We believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, engaged, and aware kids is for us parents to do the same, to strive for happiness, health, and engagement and awareness in our own lives. We believe that awareness is the foundation for creating a vision of successful parenting, your own personal vision of successful parenting, and that we can be the people that we want our children to become. Today's show is called Unique Learner Solutions, Discover the Ability in Learning Disability, which is the title of our guest's new book. I'm very happy to welcome... Suzanne Cresswell to the show. Suzanne is an occupational and physical therapist who has worked with patients in her clinic and in the school system for over three decades. She blends her background in rehabilitation medicine with principles of neuroplasticity to provide novel and effective intervention strategies. Children and adults with autism, attention deficit disorder, Asperger's, sensory integration, and other learning disabilities benefit greatly from Suzanne's unique approach to brain and body wellness. And one of the things that I love about Suzanne's work is that she educates, as well as provides proven solutions and strategies to parents, to teachers, to instructors who work with unique learners. And she believes, as we believe in Parent Footprint, by creating an understanding of unique learners and their behavior, she's able to help parents, teachers, and students fully find their ability In learning disabilities Suzanne welcome to the show
1: hi thank you so much dr. Dan good to be here so tell us
0: how this wonderful book which I'm holding right now um, which has a ton a ton of helpful information in user-friendly English and speak came to be
1: thank you I hope it's user-friendly it's the whole the whole point and I've had the opportunity of working with children in my clinic here as an occupational therapist and physical therapist, and also in the school district working with children who have academic challenges, learning disabilities, and in the child's home environment as well. And very early on in the work I was doing, I realized that this group of individuals are unique in that it takes total presence of mind in order to interact well with this population of individuals. And at the same time, I had an adult caseload as a physical therapist with the backs and necks and knees and so forth. And I found that when I worked with the children it was very evident that when I was completely present with full visual attention, auditory attention, but beyond that, just, just kind of blending b- body boundaries in a way of that full compassion, I was able to minimize that ch- that cerebral palsy child's excessive muscle tone more easily, instruct in reaching, rolling, sitting, walking, Uh, instruct my parents much more clearly. And I found that I had developed a habit in my adult caseload of just kind of assuming they understood and would talk about the weather and so forth. And I realized it's the children that taught me how to be a good therapist, that child or adult, we all need that uh, complete focus of attention when, when we are attempting to um, assist another individual in their life. And it made me a better therapist all around. So, bing, right from the get-go, I recognized that this population was teaching me something and needed immediately, therefore, to give back. So, the children continued to teach and continued to teach. And I continued to keep my notes. I would write long reports, sometimes unnecessarily Long for the audience, but because of um, my desire to help people understand the child's motive behind their actions. And kept the reports, uh, knowing that I was going to write this book, um, honestly, 10 or 12 years, I would say. And then when my children moved out to go on to university, I sat in my daughter's bedroom, now my office, and piled all these reports on her floor and began to recognize patterns in their. Style of learning that maybe we could talk about um, diagnoses, which we certainly do in medical, occupational therapy, and medical physical therapy. But in the realm of academics, it began to be clear that there were patterns in how these children learned across board, and and it resulted in strategies that would work with the child with autism spectrum disorder, just as as much as the child with attention deficit disorder, that somehow the diagnoses didn't necessarily preclude the way we could look at their style of learning and therefore provide intervention. Learning, not just happening in a school, learning being how that individual begins to make sense of the world around them. Learning is occurring all the time. And the word imperative comes to mind. It's always been an imperative to give back to this vital population that has taught me so much. And as it turns out, I seem to have been able to provide some of the teachers and some of the parents with a little different way of looking at the Rubik's Cube that they've indicated to me has been helpful. And that's uh, spurred me on. In order to move this book forward, and on my website, I have um, newsletters that go out every week. I, I'm just full of content <laughs> in order to assist this population being better understood.
0: well, your your passion and experience and commitment to give back uh, come through. Loudly, in your book, I mean, just in your words and the way you write, and so I want to tell you and um, our audience mission accomplished and um oh. <laughs> it it's it, it's it's just so helpful and uh, as you're talking i I glommed onto a few words that you said at the beginning, which are so powerful because we find that, you know, best practices for um, specialty populations tend to be best practices for all. It just seems like we need to take extra um, care to do some of these things with special populations, but you said presence of mind and fully present. And, you know, when we go to school to learn, to teach, to counsel, to rehabilitate, there's so much focus on, an intervention or a strategy or an approach and I feel like it's the same thing with parenting it's like just do this give a time out uh, count to three and what you just represented is what we find in all of our healing work but also um, our parenting and teaching is if we can be present for someone magical things can happen
1: that's really really the key and I say that Repeatedly. I, I mean, a, a lot of the book I struggled with going into the neuroanatomy, but at some point I thought it was helpful for the brain the brain to be brought into the discussion and, and the different parts of the brain that control different aspects of it so that we can begin to use a common language to draw inferences about the child's motive behind their action. And so you can basically science, you know, the the petui out of it, <laughs> which I tend to do, I have that kind of brain, or you can love fiercely. And the end result is very, very, very similar. I might see patterns and based on my experience and background and education, see that fall into a category that I might label, you know, challenge with gravity or vision and understanding space, visual, spatial, and that would have meaning to me. and, and, assist me in coming up with some strategies but that astute adult in the child's life would say the same see the same thing and yet label it in a different way but the strategies would very likely end up being similar so having having mm-hmm. the adult in the child's life to be um overused the the term conscious it, to really be able you know really your um mission statement in this entire podcast that you're doing where individuals need to um, be have presence of mind and and to be not not have it maybe they're having a bad day but or bad hair day i meant to say but to not be focused on their bad hair day to just clear all of that baggage up so that they can then present themselves to this young person who is uh, focusing on us from a variety of different ways, not just visually and auditorily, but they're they're picking up our interest in, in the words that they speak, our interest in their mannerisms and so forth. And that uh, emotional exchange then allows the child to explore, to take risks, to um, to learn more, basically, so when the parent can create an environment where the child feels um, safe and understood, you know, really the heart is. They sh- the science is showing more and more the heart is the brain behind the brain. The ability to engage the heart to engage at that motivational, compassionate, um, self loving way, really uh provides the hormones and all of the other things that uh, facilitate the brain in its ability to function. So, yeah, not to get too caught up in the mm-hmm. neuroanatomy, but it, it, it is kind of fascinating. I mean, there are some children that really show challenges in terms of their ability to feel gravity operating on their body and then to respond to it. Sounds crazy, but imagine if you were say on skis right now for the first time and we're at the top of a ski slope and I'm talking to you about uh, the math test, maybe some of the new questions that are going to come up. And you're just trying to balance on your skis and deal with, you know, the visual input of the hill you're about to overcome. And so your attention would be divided in that sense. And, and we don't always recognize when a child has a, a divided attention and they're working so hard to complete the amount of work that they're doing. So I'm hoping, not to my mm-hmm. book and my book this, but I'm a, that was the whole idea in, in, in my book, in Unique Learner Solutions, was to provide the reader right. with an ability to look at that roadmap maybe from a different perspective and there's solutions in there but solutions just come to mind really when you begin to look at the rubik's cube in a different perspective it's it's not rocket science it's it's love really it's love
0: it, exactly And, you know, one of the things that you take on in your book is this concept of uh, why trying harder isn't the answer, right, which is one of these old school principles Uh that we all do, like, just try harder. And I have one quick story to share, and then I want to hear your take on this. When we started our journey of learning uh, disabilities in our family with our oldest— um, who at that time was a kindergartner, and we already, we already knew that she was slow to read, and um, the diagnosis uh, of dyslexia had not yet been made, but um, certainly there was a lot of attention around it. Her kindergarten teacher would say to her over and over, and this is a joke in our family that we look back with humor now, would say, it's wa, it's wa." It's the wa sound. Just make the wa sound. Now, obviously, if a child can make the wa sound, uh, that child would. And it was this whole—this was very old school, and it was like, just do it harder. Try harder. But it wasn't sticking because there was a real reason. So tell us about this whole—your take on the try harder notion that I think is uh, born into our teaching and parenting.
1: Right. Well, um, the encouragement to try harder presupposes that that individual has the entire complement in order to really, what is it that you're asking them to do, reproduce the same action that was done, you know, in the recent past in a way that is more successful. So it presupposes that the individual understands what more success means in that action um, is it on the soccer field uh, running faster or is it um, w- w- what is that and the, and then to be able to um, instruct their body to create that is a process in and of itself when when we take the brain processes out of the equation and we look at learning behavior really from a, a behavioral perspective, then it becomes more difficult to open up to the possibility that there are other very legitimate reasons why a child might be having difficulty. And usually if the try harder um, and stay in at recess and repeat um, a a child who has more typical wiring and, and is a more typical learner would probably be able to respond to that and and produce the work and learn from that experience. Um, But if you find yourself repeating that, just, to parrot your words right there, Dr. Dan, Um, you know, if the child could, they would have already, you know, in the example that you just provided. So if you find yourself repeating words like that, different ways of saying the same thing or saying the same thing and saying it louder, then chances are you have a child who has a unique learning need um, in that particular instance right there. And Mm -hmm. it becomes more uh, productive then for the adult, who is now, as we've spoken, already in that kind of calm, open, loving place, for the adult actually to become the student in the experience, and the child becomes the teacher. And the child then teaches mm. the adult, in this case, what it is that is um, driving their ability to learn, what is helping them focus, what is keeping them from focusing. And we kind of look at it in terms of what is promoting coherence and calmness versus the um, alternative, which I just coined the word chaos. I know that's a bit extreme, but just to make the words fun, chaos, chaos, to coherence right. and an adult knows what that's like mm-hmm. if you go if you take a birthday party to a, a pizza place that has loud noises and loud lights parents know what i'm talking about that that's probably an, that would bring in chaos if you take uh, which white, which is exactly what you're looking for in a birthday party that high energy and and you choose that and where another setting would um, mm-hmm. uh, encourage the child to be Uh, maybe a library setting. The child needs to be uh, more quiet. And we can see the things that the child brings into their day that promotes that mode anyways. The child will show you what they need to get them revved up, excited, ready to learn. And then what takes them over the top, whoops. And then they will also show us the types of things that they do Mm -hmm. um, that are calming for them and reticent. And it may or may not be the appropriate time for it. Maybe you've got friends over and your child takes a book and sits in the corner. It may They might be out of step, but it doesn't change the fact you're in detective mode. You're still learning from your child and you're seeing, oh, okay, in this instance, this is something the child is kind of self-advocating for themselves in order to calm them down. And as a caring, loving individual, a parent, Mm -hmm. you can begin to develop this mental roster of stuff that revs up and stuff that calms down, and then assist the child in being able to more regulate themselves so they can be more successful in their learning. It's usually just try harder. It's usually there it, it it's it's more how that child is processing the information is, is the difficulty there. If you keep repeating try harder and try harder. It requires you stepping back and looking uh at it at it from a different perspective slowly over time.
0: Well and I think this is where you talk about detective mode, right? Being detectives when something when we both we see ki- parents when they when the nor- everything that they've tried isn't working, um, everything the school has tried isn't working or isn't working well enough, and there's concern and there's distress. And then we have to, you know, you talk about taking a step back, looking at things differently, uh-huh. going into detective mode. And I think that's what you've, you've just been talking about.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so t- too quickly we are um, using Try Harder. And then through that we get to... Um, Uh, bring in loss of privileges, loss of recess, or late to PE. And and these are the very children that need to be experiencing their body moving, you know, in all these different dimensions during recess and having the unstructured time and the movement patterns during PE and so forth. So if we do the just try harder, it's usually coupled with, um, you know, loss of privileges or some um, outcome uh, so that the, the based on that type of um, parenting that our parents went through and their parents went through and so forth, that, you know, if the child isn't um, being compliant, then you then loss of privileges is the natural consequence for that. And I think your uh, podcast here and you and I are both talking about, there's other elements that are operating um, where if, if we can assist that child in being able to shift their level of attention so they can participate in learning Uh, then that just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. More we want the child to be able to develop an understanding of their own learning style and to make space for that and to honor that within reason. You know, there is a chessboard of life. We do want our children to be able to plug into and understand. Uh, I'm thinking of, oh, just the haircuts, right, for the uh, children with autism. They don't like to have Mm -hmm. their scalp handled and, you know, on the one hand, as a parent, do you really want to put your child through that? On the other hand, there we are living in a society where there is a certain look to a child and, and uh, allowing the hair to just be like a, a lion's mane. You know, ultimately, that's going to be a decision on, on the parent's part, the, the negative social impact potentially from that appearance. you know, So, you know, parents have a hard time knowing where to draw the line. And, and it's... Um, and I think that if they look at it from what it is that the child is needing, um, that can be a, a guide for them.
0: Hmm. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about a, f- a few things here that you talk about. One is the need for us parents and teachers at times to take a step back and take a fresh look when we're trying to guide what I like how you call a unique learner. Because sometimes we're just Uh so in the middle of of the chaos that we need to Uh take this step back to figure out what is going on and bring some sort of some mindful presence to the process so we can figure out a plan to go to find the ability in the learning disability, as you say.
1: Yeah. Many of the students who have these learning disabilities have uh, unique way of processing information and information really that's data coming into the brain. Like we'll have auditory information, what we hear, what we feel, taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. This is a sensory system that we're taught and the brain then becomes a the central operating station that begins to manage all of that incoming data so that we can make decisions, blend that with past experience, intelligence, and create a reasonable course of action based on that information. Well, taste, touch, sight, smell, hearing. There's also two others that are very important, and it's our ability to feel gravity operating on our body. And it, in addition to that, the other sense is the ability to feel how our body is moving. So we have a variety of different sensory systems. And the um, ability to feel gravity operating on the body is very important right at that first moment of birth, actually, when we move from a buoyant environment to the um, gravitational pull of the Earth's surface, kind of acting on the body. So the body instantly has to be able to recognize that. Then the brain sends a message to the part of the brain that controls movement so that the infant can then move their um, head and their oral aperture and so forth, lift up through the arms so they don't first suffocate, and then ultimately to a source of food and a source of emotional nurturing and so forth. By... Um, the touch through the oral aperture, through the lips and so forth. So that is very magical right there. Feeling gravity, that's called the vestibular sense, being able to respond to it, make your muscles and joints move to respond to gravity. So as adults, we don't fall off our bike. And then being able to feel the result of that. So the vestibular system is our sense of um, detecting gravity, our proprioceptive system is our ability to detect movement in our tactile or sense of touch is how we uh, are able to feel the experience and how these three systems blend together allows the child experiences in learning about the world around them. And the, um, Child, for example, who has some difficulty with the sense of touch, I notice that in many children. But we'll notice that in the autism spectrum disorder child who tends to move the hands away from textures and materials will tend to hold the hands up towards the ears sometimes and kind of flapping the hands as though they're drying them as if they were just wet and they didn't have a paper towel kind of thing. Um, And they and many. Children have difficulty u- utilizing utensils, the feel of it in their hand, or believe it or not, the feel of the pencil lead dragging on the bumps of the paper. For some, uh, they have uh, either a hypersensitive or kind of a blend of of less hypo sensitive touch, hypersensitive touch, and a blend of these come and go. And it, our sense of touch, when it comes, really comes into fruition, and we can feel using our fingertips rather than putting everything in our mouths as infants. Then we feel things through our fingertips and we're touching everything. So our mom's saying, put that down. And then eventually that moves to our visual system. So we're exploring the world visually and we don't have to actually reach out and touch everything for the brain to begin to understand it. It's kind of this process. But to, to um, mm-hmm. have that sense of touch also allows us uh, to... Uh, ultimately experience our own personal body boundaries and how we are physically separate from the rest of the world and it's a as you know being a psychologist that's a huge developmental leap and there's a sense that some of the individuals that have that sense of touch i'm just going to throw out the word weirdness just to keep it light I'm throwing so much yes. science weirdness words in or here. quirkiness but yes kind yes. of quirky touch um yep. then have a quirky sense sometimes of their body boundary these are children that sometimes don't know how close or far to be from their peers or their teachers they don't have um that ability to grade their muscles to be able to turn a lever on a little toy with the right force, they're unsuccessful or else they're too forceful and break it. Their their sense of touch doesn't give them the feedback to know how to give and take in that sense. More importantly, I think is that sense of touch that, Mature so that we can distinguish our body boundaries and that we are a physically separate entity from people, places, and things around us, I think is a little delayed. And as a result, Mm -hmm. it becomes difficult to have relationships with people, places, and things when you don't really have that full definition of yourself. Long long answer. But imagine that child, you know, with the maybe Asperger's or that, you know, they're very functional, but they're a high level autistic child or that child with um, lack of motor control, standing in front of you as the teacher, you know, asking you a question, there's a whole lot going on there more than that student just saying, am I done sort of thing that child first of all to come to the teacher to initiate the question to have the standing posture to wait in line to be in the right space i'm speaking too long right. about this but can you see well, there's all just... these all
0: these things that we take for granted i mean take and, for and so mm-hmm. we totally take for granted and i like how you also said to have relationships with people places and things because these are all relationships where we need to regulate and parents who are listening if you if susanna is describing your child these are all the sensory processing things that end up being called out for behavior but have neurological underpinnings and physiological underpinnings. And um, I have so many questions, Suzanne, and I'm going to have to, we, our time is just running out. So one that I, I'm really interested in hearing and I know that our uh, folks are uh, interested in is if you have a child with a learning disability or a learning difference or a learning quirk, what is one thing, if there's one thing that a parent in their busy lives can focus on to discover the ability, what would you recommend?
1: It seems that many of these children that have unique learning challenges have a sensory system, taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing feeling gravity, vestibular, feeling movement, proprioceptive. Uh, They have a sensory system that in some ways is more sensitive than our own, that they are taking in information in a deeper level at times or in a broader, full-spectrum way where you and I might be compartmentally thinking of things, linear sequencing. They're experiencing the world from a different, slightly different perspective. And as a result, they children that I've worked with that have then grown up and gone to college and come back and I've met with their parents and I've had dinner with these kids and so forth, they repeatedly say to me that it is the intention behind the adult's act that they can Mm. feel strongly, much more so than the course of action and the action itself. It seemed more important to them that the intention behind the individual um, parenting them um, educating them that that individual's intention was um, to the betterment of of the child. They can they can feel that that the um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: ability of the adult to be uh, fully present and and compassionate, and that even if the advice was a bit quirky to use your word, even if the advice didn't lead yep. them in the direction, it nevertheless it was a moment where um, that. Um, significant other in the child's life helped the child to define themselves and to um, honor and respect them for who they are and that that held vertically is is the intention behind the act so uh, okay long story so if you're going into your you know school meeting or this or that and you want it to look a certain way and you have you know you kind of are pushing for a certain outcome, or if you're the type of parent and you're in a social situation, and um, you feel all of a sudden the need that your child needs to, you know, look in a certain way, sitting in a chair, not on the carpet, or, or no longer are we going to allow that loud laughter that we normally allow in the living room, all of a sudden, you know, we're in auntie's house, we're, we need that to change. Um, those, it, you know, if the, the child can feel that, that um, when you're doing something, I've uh, selfish. Um, they, they can feel the intention and goodness sakes, as a parent, be selfish. Oh, for heaven's sakes. I mean, when you have to curb your child, you have to curb your child. I'm not saying that, but just know that's what they feel. And so whether you are correct or not in your action, if the intention really, if it's loving and altruistic, you really can say that uh, about your action, then, then that is so beneficial and will stay with your child, you know, for a long, long time.
0: And and I love how you brought it it back to presence of mind and being fully present to, to be present and focus on your intention because the kids will feel it, they will read it, and they will internalize that. Okay, so it's time for our Parent Footprint Moment question. And this question is, Suzanne, tell us about a time when you became aware of something about yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your children?
1: I can think of a time that I thought, That parents needed to have a consistent way of parenting the children when sweaters need to be taken to school or not, when lunches needed to be made a certain way or not, how many pieces of pizza a child could have, the parents should have this intuitive, you know, number in their head and never part from that, and, and um, that was a tricky way to get started. And then in speaking to my own parents, um, they helped me to realize that my dad's way of parenting, um, very scientific and straightforward, my mom's way of parenting, uh, very compassionate. Dad would want the correct answer. Mom would want to have a nice time at dinner, irregardless of what the right answer might be, and and it actually was a lovely way to be raised actually. And, uh, and I had that moment um, with my own children so that I, I let go of that. My husband would become very interested in the report cards. For example, there was a procession of bringing the report cards in and what's the grade and is it similar or different and how do you feel about it and what's that about? Whereas I wanted to just stimulate their ability to learn and love learning in general. And so, um, rather than have a discussion and curb my husband's interest and enthusiasm in doing that, I realized it was it's okay to be different. And so I would bake a cake with little flags sticking out of the icing in it, you know, a, an A, a B, a D, a C, a F, a C minus, and kind of go, this is the cake of life, you know, take a slice, you know, sometimes
0: <laughs> you get an A, That's sometimes great.
1: you get this. And then it, it allowed the children to to have both perspectives my son would say um, he would draw a picture which one do you like the best and my husband Tom would point out the one that was most accurate of the tree where I'd point out I like this one the best because I can tell it was your first try I like this one because I can see your fingers learned from that one and I like this one because of the beautiful colors you added you know imagine being raised by this too but that's what my parents gave me It sounds wonderful to be free. And that's yeah. uh, then what I chose to do with my children and my daughter, who's um, doing her PhD in marine biology. Uh, I, I can hear that in her, my son, who's a journalist. I can hear those two sides of them in, in both of them. And it's very lovely, lovely to see. It's a lovely thing to be a parent from the get-go to infinity. It's a Lovely, lovely thing.
0: Well, and w- wonderful that it's so aligned with parent footprint is that you are aware of both of your parents and how what was important to them and how they raised you, and being able to take those things and with awareness decide which parts of those you're going to carry on, which parts of those you're going to temper, and how you'll even work with and um, your husband's approach. I mean, so this is all about awareness. And that awareness has uh, uh, obviously um, helped given your kids a wonderful uh, growing up.
1: I hope so thank you village. for sharing.
0: Excellent. Yeah. All right. Our time is done. So that means that all you all, need to go get Suzanne's great book because there is so much in there that we did not get to. And it's such an informative, scientific, user-friendly, and strength-based approach to finding ability in learning disability. Again, the title, Unique Learner Solutions. Suzanne, where can people track you and find out about your wonderful newsletter and more?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. I have an ebook to offer your listeners, and they can get that um, by going to my website, which is unique learners solution, sorry, unique learner solutions.com. And to get the ebook, it's backslash ebook. On our uh, website also, unique learnersolutions.com, you can sign up for my newsletter and you get a unique l- newsletter every week. Um being a new author, you know, just so interested in the topic, but not the world's greatest writer. Over 10 years, I developed quite a good skill at writing. Eventually, you just do. But I, I removed will attest to that. tons of content uh, and knowing it would still get out there as newsletters. So, they're free weekly newsletters. The types of things that I just thought were too, too uh, detailed to manage in, in the book, Unique Learner Solutions, are now being published uh, free on the on the website, you can sign up for weekly, uh, weekly newsletters at UniqueLearnerSolutions dot com, and you can also get our um, ebook, which is UniqueLearnerSolutions dot com backslash ebook, and that's also at no charge.
0: Excellent, wonderful resources, everyone. Thank you for listening. This morning, or maybe this afternoon, or maybe this evening, wherever you're listening, we appreciate you being a part of our community and sharing in our mission to create a more loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. Be the person you want your child to become. Be mindful, be present, be loving, and think about The guiding question I always ask What footprint do you want to leave?